This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I am sitting with mayoral candidate Jeff Cook. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Jeff. Thanks uh, for coming over. Lovely home you have here. It's lots of light. Even though it's a rainy day, there's still lots of light. Well, straight down to business, Jeff. Uh, who are you? I mean, we have uh, candidates uh, who we know, like uh, Susan Chappelle, Karen Elliott. Uh, we know you've run for council once before, but tell people who you are, Jeff. Marcus, I moved to town about 11 years ago, and we came here for the lifestyle. You know, we, we were looking at different mountain towns to live in and settled on Squamish. And uh, uh, at the time, it was a bit of a default. Uh, in, originally, we were looking at, you know, Whistler or Canmore. Um, but those places, you know, even at that time, were this was more affordable compared to there. Uh, so we ended up here, and it was the best thing that ever happened to us. You know, I'm a huge believer in fate, and, and good things happen just just uh, for good reasons. Uh, but ever since then, you know, and, and well, part of the reason that we moved to to Squamish uh, and to in particular a smaller town and a mountain town was the the feel of the community. Um, having a young kids at the time they were just uh, just starting into school we wanted somewhere where they were safe uh, where there was a sense of community where we could be involved in the school and and with our community and with our neighbors and uh, coming from living in big cities for most of my life uh, we just don't have that you know I grew up in Scarborough uh, just outside on the outskirts of Toronto which is like the typical suburban houses you know tear down farm fields put up houses and everything's the same and you know you, you don't you, you get to know some of your neighbors but you're not really involved in the community uh, we wanted a, a completely different experience from that uh, when we have our family and and start our life here so it, it's kind of part of the reason why we got involved and and ever since then uh, I've been involved uh, you know I love getting involved with the community so whether you know it started out with things like the school planning councils and um, uh, parents advisory committees and morphed into, you know, coaching baseball for many years and, and then getting involved with our bike club, you know, Sorka. And so one thing I really enjoy, and it actually gives me a ton of energy is just, is being involved uh, of serving our community. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough, uh, with my business that I have a lot of flexibility in my time and I have the, the time to donate and the resources to donate back into the community. So as mayor, I mean, those are two good qualities to have, good business sense and also a sense of community. So, yeah. um, And the Squamish, you have to admit, it has been changing. And uh, I've, been, I've been hammering this with a lot of the other uh, uh, podcasts I've done and also with uh, other interviews I've done that we're on a precipice of big change, right? And, and so that sense of community, I don't know if you feel if it's being threatened or is it too much development? What yeah. would you feel about that? The, the biggest threat in, in my mind to our community is this huge imbalance that we see between residential development, which is soaring, and of uh, job growth. Uh, I think there are somewhere in the neighborhood of, of, of 4,000 new homes right now on the books approved to be built. Uh, but if we continue on the same path that we have and track record that we have with job creation, like maybe in the next three to four years, we have three, 400 new jobs. Uh, so what we'll end up with is is a another 4,000 people. If, you know, you just assume like of every one of those 4,000 new families that moves in here, you have at least one of those people that have to go uh, every morning, leave our community, drive down the highway to, to earn a living and come back every night. The other thing, and I started to notice this uh, when I was looking around the different boards that I serve on. So I've been on the Chamber of Commerce board, but right now I'm, I'm the president of the Sea to Sky Crime Stoppers, and I've been the president of Sorka for some time. And I look around at our boardroom table and, and who is volunteering. And 90 to 95% are doing the volunteering are people who live here and work here. When you increase the percentage of people that have to commute away to earn a living, you all, all of a sudden decrease the percentage of people that can that have time to volunteer, that have time to be involved in the community, that have time to get you know engaged with their schools. And to me, that uh, starts to erode the, the real fabric, the real small town feel of what we have. Like, I don't think we can turn back the dial on growth totally, but we have to manage it better and we have to temper it such that instead of, you know, well, right now we're on a trajectory. I think there's about uh, the 2016 uh, stat said 47% of people were commuting to work. 
with another four, five, six thousand homes over the next five years, we're on a trajectory to where probably close to two thirds of people that live in Squamish have to travel down that highway to go to work. And that's that's a completely different community than what we have now. Yeah, if, if no one's in the community, it's hard to get a sense of community. But now you're looking at a mixed bag of things here, right? You're looking at building a community with, with essentially people who travel to the city. So that means you want to create jobs here so we have less commuting. Right. But the thing is, there's such the people from the city who work there who are moving up here are moving up here because the housing is still somewhat affordable than Vancouver. Yeah. So it, you're, you're looking at trying to create I'm, I'm just assuming here that you're trying to create an environment where housing is still relatively affordable and also the fact that we can create business here so we're not over over inundated with taxes so that that's a pretty tall order yeah it is it, it's it's an ambitious goal but it's one that we need to do if we want to really change the direction uh, of of the future of this community it, you know it it's happening now. So this is the thing, like the change is already initiated. Unfortunately, it's in the wrong direction, right? The, the approval of all these homes have put us on that trajectory to becoming a bedroom community. And I think we need to stop that and reverse that trend. And the way to do that is to get very aggressive about recruiting companies to come here that want to locate here. You know, we're not going to change the economics of the housing market. Um, the, the market in Vancouver will dictate what happens in Squamish. Like we, we're not the dog, we're the tail, right? right. So we're not going to wag that dog. We will be always subject to whatever happens in Vancouver. Um, and we'll be a little bit cheaper, um, as transportation on the highway gets easier, all of a sudden that, that, uh, discount starts to disappear. But the thinking is that if you can make it cheaper for people to live here, like their cost of living is less here because they don't need two cars in the family because they can both work here. Uh, they don't have those extended days of daycare where you need to have the kids in daycare from 6.30 a.m. Right. till 6. Till 9. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you don't have the fuel costs, if you just don't have that strain of spending another three oh, hours I feel in you. the car. I like, feel you, yeah. yeah. I tell you, so, like, so that's, you know, if you can uh, start to make it more affordable to live here by changing the dynamics of, of the cost structure of living here, then all of a sudden start to, you know, it's a little bit more affordable. Like that's the kind of difference that we can make and we can make it in a relatively short order. But it, there has well, this, to be this is where I'm going to start tapping into your business acumen yeah. because we're, we're talking about a lot of things that are sort of balanced towards each other they sort of bounce off each other so yeah. for example if you're talking about limiting housing uh, that means uh, we're talking about property taxes uh, hopefully staying the same or maybe increasing because values of homes will be going up if you're not developing that means yeah. people who want to move here the value of homes move up so that all of a sudden now we're talking about more property taxes so yeah. fine and then you want to open up more businesses to sort of offset that right but then you have to incentivize businesses for coming up up here and and you know what, what kind of incentives can we offer i know we've been borrowing to the hilt so right what what can we do to so, bring business up here uh, one thing i learned in business is that as soon as you start to compete on price you're dead mm -hmm. right if you know bmw or you know porsche or rolls royce decides to say hey we're going to discount our property and we're going to give you discounts to come and buy our cars then the whole brand starts to erode what we have in Squamish is incredibly unique and, and part of the reason it's grown so much is because of the lifestyle that is here. You know, people come up here because they love the rock climbing, they love the access to Whistler and the backcountry skiing that we have here. They love the, the wind sports and they love mountain biking. They love being out on the trails, they love the forests that were around here. All these recreation amenities um, are the things that are drawing a lot of people here. And I think if you talk to a lot of real estate agents, they'll tell you exactly that. Oh, you know, people coming up here, yep, they're all, you know, all mountain bikers or they're all, you know, all trail, trail runners or climbers. They want to be here for that. If we can make this the best place on the planet to live for those kind of people, the people attracted to that, then that is the hook that we need to pull people here, right? Uh, if we then find companies and go look for companies that value, you know, share those values that want their employees to, to be happy and healthy in this environment, they're the ones that will come up here because for them, it's like, Hey, now our employees can, can be 10 minute, uh, bike ride away from work. Uh, they're near their families. They're engaged in their schools. They're less tired because they're not in the car all day. Like that's a huge attraction for for businesses. And if I, you know, and this, I like you know, we we don't have a, 
uh, employees here, our business is more nationwide. Um, but for companies that are here, well, like bike tech companies like OneUp or VentureWeb, uh, you know, web design company, like their employees live here and work here and love the trails here and they can attract uh, uh, employees here. Uh, maybe they can't pay them any less, but those employees can be happy. And uh, so th I think that's where we have a huge advantage, say, compared to Surrey or yeah, Burnaby you, or you wherever pitch else. Him, you, you pitch could. them in the community. You pitch them about the environment that you're living in and not necessarily uh, throwing out, uh, you'll pay less property taxes here if you come right. here. Yeah. You're talking about environment. You're talking about productivity and, yeah. and sort, of, uh, sort of changing the mindset of, of employees. And, that, you know, that, that's a good, that's, you know, that would be a great pitch, right? But then you're, you're looking at micro companies, right? There are some big players yep. that are looking at uh, building here or have built here like, well, you know, we're going to get to it. You know, we're going to get to it. LNG. Yeah. yeah. They're here. Um, it's not like we have a choice. I don't think we have a choice. So wh where do you stand on LNG? Well, firstly, uh, I wish we did have a choice, right? I wish we had started this economic development 10 years ago. And we had other companies coming to town where we had the luxury to say, you know what, we don't need the three to four million dollars in tax revenue. But now we're in a corner, right? We are really in a corner. Um, we're facing a huge hole in our budget. Uh, we've been building so much. We've got this very shaky financial foundation and we need to shore it up. And, you know, it, part of the kind of necessary evil now is, is finding, well, you know, how can we increase tax revenue from the opportunities that are in front of us now? It's if I had my choice, we wouldn't have LNG here, you know, and we would have a lot more green tech companies and we would have a lot less carbon emissions. But, you know, the reality that we're facing now is that we have to make the best of what we have. It's, you know, we've got lem lemons. We have to make lemonade and we have to make the best damn lemonade you've ever tasted. And and that's kind of our job going forward now is how do we negotiate the best deal for protecting our environment with regards to LNG and also uh, getting as much value out of that relationship in terms of uh, taxation and community amenities and uh, contributions to charity. I, and I think finding a way to make that happen, to integrate them in some way into the community so that that can happen, I think is, is the only way forward now. Uh, the more, I don't think anyone's in, has the appetite for another uh, four-year battle, or uh, I think people from what I've heard are like, okay, you know, we've been through the fight. Like, let's just get on with it. Let's right. try and heal as a community. Let's this stop this d divisive and, feeling. And finally put somebody at the table, right? Because it seems like the province and the federal government are making all the decisions, and we sort of been not there, part yeah. of the process, right? Well, if if Donald Trump can sit down with Kim Jong-il, <laughs> <you know, laughs> well, Squamish optics. should be able to sit down with LNG and oh. work something out. <laughs> I, I, I never knew Trump would get incorporated in municipal <laughs> elections conversation. My wife's American, and she's not a big Trump fan, so. <laughs> it's funny, I don't know many people who are, but the ones that I know who are, wow, they they really love that man, which is yeah. kind of freaky. But yeah, uh, yeah so like, sitting down with LNG would be big. I mean, getting somebody at the table to sort of bring in those those the that taxation, I mean, the, the number that we're talking about, I think it's much lower than what we can get. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a question of building those relationships, right? Yeah. And in terms of development, too, and transportation, I mean, we're talk, you were talking about, too, how if we can open up transportation, that we can also ease some of the burden of, of the cost of living here. So yeah. transit is also one of the big issues. Yeah. And it seems like uh, the mayor in Whistler, uh, he's, he's, I think he's going to be acclaimed. He's running unopposed, unlike you. Who have, wow. You've got a big slog fest ahead of you. Um, you've got to build some relationships there. What do you think is missing? Why haven't we done anything so far in terms of transit? Uh, that's a good Good question. You know, I, I think there always has to be a will to make it happen, and there has to be. You know, I, I don't know if Whi uh, if Whistler's been totally on board with making it all happen. Like, you know, uh, I think there's some negotiations that have to happen there. I think if you look at the transportation flow and pattern, and who's who's coming up on the highway, and when the pinch points happen. A lot of the congestion will happen around tourism. And, you know, before proceeding with a plan, I think it's important that we analyze to see, well, you know, if we do invest a ton of money in transportation, um, is it going to make, is it going to solve the problem, right? And 
uh, or, or are we fixing a problem that isn't really the problem, right? Because, I, you know, you can pretty much guarantee that all the people skiing on a Saturday morning are still going to be driving their cars up there. Like, you know, it's not the commuting on a, a Monday to Friday. Yeah, you know, we can make some change there. But I think for the most part, uh, there's going to be still a ton of cars. If you're living in Seattle and you're driving up, you're driving up in your car. If you're renting a car at the airport and driving up, you're coming up. It's it's not anything that we're going to be able to change. So uh, the problem, I think, is a little more complex than saying, like, yeah, we need to get regional transit. I think that will alleviate the pressure a bit. But remember, if we keep building these houses, we're putting, you know, 4,000 more people that need transportation down to the city and that that to me is like you know we're creating more of a problem and then we're saying well we next need to fix that problem that we just created <laughs> uh, if we can reverse the trend if we can get people more people uh, biking to work or, right. or even taking transit around here to work uh, if instead of that you know jump from 45 percent to 65 percent of people commuting if instead of it, it starts to decrease, you know, f to from 45 or 47 to 40, and then maybe in eight years it's down to, to 35 and gets going in the opposite direction, then I think you kind of say, well, yeah, you know, the highway is going to be congested. If, if Whistler still wants to market their property and their resort, which they will, they have a business case to do that. They right. need to bring people up there. It doesn't matter what we do here in Squamish. They're just going to keep drawing people up to, to Whistler. And until they put in an airport there and drive people right there, they're going to be coming through Squamish. You know, the 18 to 34-year-olds is one of those things where they would love to have, I think they'd like to see some transit. And, you know, there are local yep. places here like Squamish Connector that's going to pick up some of the slack to go into yep. Vancouver. But in, to Whistler, it's different because I think Vale, they're, they're, they're operating a little bit differently than IntraWest. IntraWest was about having their workers stay local, whereas Vale, they, they, they don't care. Yeah. So all of a sudden now you're going to be looking at people who work in Whistler who need somewhere to live. And obviously Whistler is not terribly affordable. So again, we're, we're catching ourselves, I think, in, in a bit yeah. of a, of a catch 22 is like we need to develop to accommodate these people or uh, then we need to transport these people back and forth. But we don't want to do the development. We want to. So you see where I'm saying where yeah, this could be a totally. bit of a quagmire there. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, and it's is really surprising to me that uh, we haven't been able to negotiate better with Whistler to say and particularly Whistler businesses to say, hey, we we have a lot of your employees that live here. If you still want to have employees. Uh, that can make it up to work. We need to work on a solution together. Like you guys are, should be chipping in on this. Like this has to be uh, worked out. And to me, it's, I, I, I'm not sure what in the between in the relationship there that's broken down or what in terms of the negotiation that's, that's broken down that hasn't made that possible. To me, it seems like an obvious choice and a way to paint a benefit for Whistler. When they see a benefit in the picture for them in terms of getting employees and make it easier for them to get employees because they're having the same struggle in terms of getting affordable accommodation. If that happens in Squamish, but that's tied in with a transport plan that gets employees from, from uh, Squamish to Whistler, that only seems to make sense to me. Like I, uh, that, I, I don't know how they could say no to that. And right. uh, Well, that means you have to start building some more affordable housing down this way then. You, yeah. Right? So yeah, now we're talking I mean, about more zoning and yeah, we're talking about more affordable you've housing. You've got to find a way to make it, yeah, make it more affordable uh, f for some people. Like that, but that's the thing. Like it's, you know, your market, you've got these different levels and, and we definitely need help for, for people at all levels of the spectrum, you know, and, and a lot more properties geared, you know, that are income geared uh, rental units would be great. It's just trying to find, you know, again, it, it's about building these relationships and negotiating so that we can make it more affordable yeah it's a complex issue and it's you know it's going to take some time um well first things first what would be your plan of attack what would be the first thing you'd be doing when you get into office yeah the the first thing is uh is finding a way to aggressively market and sell squamish to businesses that that's to me is the number one thing that we can do I, when we talk about economic development uh, you know I, uh, there gets to be a lot of uh Complexity, I think, thrown into the picture, and to me, well, it's just a, a very simple. For sure. Yeah, uh, to me, it's very simple. Like we we have a great product, we need to market and sell it, and we haven't done that. We've been kind of waiting for people to come to us. We need to go find them. Like if you're a real estate agent and you're selling houses, you're not just waiting for someone to knock on your door, say, "Hey, you know, do you have any houses to sell?" You've got to market 
right. market. You go out and you find customers. Any business is the same way. You can't just sit back and wait for people. And I think if we take a more aggressive approach, a targeted approach at the kind of companies that we want, and you're right, you know, you mentioned earlier about the, the big companies. I don't think we start with trying to find Amazon to move here, right? It just won't fit. But what you start to do is find those companies that are in that sweet spot that are between like seven to 20 employees, right? Where it's feasible that they can move their workforce up or move most of their workforce up here. Uh, if you start to target companies like that, then you start to build a bit of a snowball, right? And then you gain momentum and, and people, you know, then you have this little pocket where you're in mo of momentum, you can point to it to other businesses and say, hey, look, here's this uh, business hub that we've created in the green sector or the rec tech sector. It's like, wow, we want to be in Squamish. Like, that's where it's all happening. Once you get that momentum and that brand in behind you, then all of a sudden that's when the bigger players start to come and you start to get more and more jobs. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, in my head, it's pretty clear in terms of the vision that we need to have. We need Squamish to be known as this place that's one of the best places in the world to live. And, you know, so if you're going to operate a business, why wouldn't you want your employees in this place where they can easily get around uh, to work, where they are limiting their commute instead of being in the city, they're limiting it instead of a, a, a drive from Maple Ridge to downtown Vancouver, they're, you know, on a bike from Garibaldi Estates to the business park. Like, how, how good would that be? And then, but then we're bringing up businesses. That means we're bringing up more families. We're looking at possibly more development because you need yep. to accommodate uh, these businesses if we're moving yep. in. So we're, we're still looking at more developments. Um, where, where do you think we can still develop? Uh, do you, like, when we're looking at uh, the Chima lands or you're looking yep. at everywhere else, like, where, where do you feel that we can sort of stretch out? Should we have single family homes? Uh, what, or are you going to let the market dictate? No, I, I think you're going to end up that you need you need a, a range of homes, but the, the key now is building something that people can afford in the range that, okay, if you're someone uh, that's earning a salary in the kind of businesses that we're attracting, so you're probably looking at somewhere where you have a household income of in the, you know, $150,000 to $200,000 range, um, you're saying, okay, well, we need some in that category, right? Like that's kind of what some of the development would be to meet that need. But we also know that we have a need for people that are far, you know, in a far less uh, high income bracket than that. So right. we need to build that. And it's kind of got to work a bit together in that um, some of the properties have got to subsidize the other ones. And I, I think, you know, I think people are OK with that. Like if they're living in a community that or a development that has a bit of a shared accommodation, I think, you know, the people that are have been more fortunate are willing to to give a hand up to, to people that, that need it, that maybe need a little bit of subsidy, that are happy to see that kind of community, that feel where we look out for each other. When I look at Squamish, that's the kind of thing that I, I wanna see, like right. where, where people are taking care of each other, where it's, it has always been a core element of Squamish, but that's part of the, the thing that, you, that I'm starting to see erode as we well, become yeah. more I mean, and more of a bedroom well, well, community. Just, yeah, exactly, and because you have, Sorry to say this, but on Squamish speaks like the cityites, right? Are moving in, and the yeah. townies are all up in arms, and, and yeah. there is a greater divide. And I, I agree with that. So it's just a fair. It's making sure that you know the, the approach is balanced for everyone. It's just it's they're so intertwined, right? This is where I, yeah. I try to get that answer from many of the candidates I talk to. Is like, well, how do you? find that nuance right how do yeah. you find that sweet spot that 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 pocket and and development is 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 a question right when you talk about zoning and you talk about development are, are you looking at also downtown densification because that that jumar wow <laughs> it's it, it's tricky like the, it, as i said right like right now on the books there's you know four to five thousand new homes so there's lots of homes like already approved to be built um do we need more at this stage, until we catch up with the jobs, I think we kind of say, like, listen, we can we can temper the housing growth uh, until we get a little caught up, right? I think that's kind of how we have to do it. I think we've shown also that we built a lot of homes. It's not the answer to reducing the the cost of living, uh, but there's you know some just smart ideas I think that you can apply. Is if you're building a home, it has to have a rental suite kind of weren't rental suite So are you ready. talking about alleviating some of the uh, some of the regulations or bylaws around that, sort of putting a well, limit on AB and, or Airbnb? Yeah, and just making it like, so So if a developer's come in and say, hey, we're going to put in, you know, uh, 500 homes on this lot, it's like, well, you know, how many of those are going to have suites in them and, and, and kind of mandate that that happen, which kind of then makes it more affordable for 
for the purchaser, right? Because then they'll have a secondary income into the to help them pay the mortgage. Right. But it opens up more inventory of rental properties, which is also helpful. Like this, this pattern, and I think the district's done some good work in in terms of alleviating some of those uh, DCCs and and uh, um, building permit fees for creating some of the carriage homes and and suites. And I think that's right on the right track. Uh, it's trying to find out. Uh, when we get to new development, like that's, I think, what you have to, to look at. I think the people, you know, you look back uh, even five, ten years ago, the people that have bought um, homes that could afford to, the young families, they're like, you know, they, they bought kind of the typical BC boxes, but it's like they knew they could put in a basement suite and, and afford right, that, and, right. and that's how it all worked. As you build um, smaller townhomes, it gets a little tougher to put a bedroom suite in there, and then so, but the price is the same, so it's like, well, you know, it, it's a bit of a challenge. So just trying to find that balance where you can create these homes that have are suitable for two two families that increase the rental uh, inventory, which then will decrease the pressure on rental properties, right? right? And that that I think is the key. It's all about you know, it's simple economics. Uh, if there's more supply, if we do everything we can to create supply f- of rental suites, it will help to make rental suites more affordable. So then, what, when let's let's breach into other other markets then, like when we talk about tourism, right? And we're talking about campsites and camping and management of those. And um, is there is there a big tourism push as well as a, as a secondary business, or is it just one of those? Or you're good where we stand, Pat? Tourism is going to be an important part of our economy. It already is, and in in the mountain biking world, I, which I'm most familiar with, I, like because I was part of doing the economic the impact Sorka, studies yeah. um, that that we. Can we do more or is, or are we happy where you're at or can we do more? Is that something is that you're going to examine or is, is, like, is that like part of the focus as well? I think there's opportunities to create some more. I, I think the big constraint now is the facilities that we have. That's right. Like, you know, so we've got great trails, you know, and, well, I was part of the branding committee um, five years ago now. Uh, and part of the report that we generated was highlighting, you know, it wasn't about the logo part of it, right? It was all about here's here's how we make Squamish a better attraction. And a lot of the the recommendation was we need to have better trailhead facilities. Like there has to be, it has to look nice. There has to be good signage. There has to be, you know, Can uh, people get bike lost? washes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And But there has to be washrooms and things like that. And, and you know, there was an article in The Chief just last week about the amount of uh, human waste out in the woods. And we've known that forever. Like, and that's been a major problem. You know, it's taken five years for that porta potties to go in. It blows my mind. Like that's... Uh, visitors coming to get a first impression of Squamish if, if they're coming here they, they love the trails but it's all the the other little pieces that refine their experience and get them to say you know what this this place that does was great until I fell into a giant pile of human excrement that was it's, awesome it's until that there. happened it's really gross out there in certain areas where they've people have been camping and like the bottom of uh, Sugo and uh, you know that parking lot if you step into the woods and behind there it's it's a disaster, but the district's done, you know, getting those Porta Johns up there is a big step forward. And, uh, the staff's been really good to get them up there. Um, and they've been well, well used and that's awesome. So, you know, like, I think we're starting on the right track. We're kind of getting it. It's just, you know, I get a little frustrated of the pace, uh, um, hasn't been nearly as uh, aggressive as it could be. Well, it depends on where where you rank your tourism, right? I mean, yeah. we have we have lots of other things we need to spend money on. Well, a lot of people won't think um, that's a priority, right? Yeah. Think but the, Brandon Park is a priority, and we're we're talking about yeah. huge infrastructure influxes that we're going to need in the near future. Yeah. So, um, but but here's what we know: 2016 uh, visitors here for mountain biking spent 10 million dollars in our community, and and every year since then it's grown, and that's a hell of a lot of money. If you can spend fifty thousand bucks to help you bring in ten million dollars every year, right, that's I'll take it. that bet that, every a, single day. That's a good return. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's how we have to look at things. Is like, what are we spending? Is it a fair return? And then I kind of look at okay, the wayfinding signs is a great example. Like we're spending a lot of money there. Is that generating a return? Like, is that directing any traffic? Is that really doing a good job? And you know, I think it's debatable. Like, I, you know, you, you, could you do um, a better job with less money? And yeah, like, you know, you don't need to spend. I forget the budget number, but it's pretty big amount of money on on those 
uh, hugely expensive signs. I think we could have gotten the same impact, uh, the same look, the same professional feel uh, for a heck of a lot less and, and actually been more functional, right? To be easier to read, uh, easier to give directions. That's where we, I think we have to kind of look at, well, what are we spending? What's the return on investment? We, we need to get funding for Brandon Park and for the recreation. Right. And when I get back to this idea of creating this great community where, where people want to work and live, that's kind of where it ties back in. To me, you know, building and expanding our rec center and our ice rinks are about attracting new businesses. So, yes, um, helping our current residents and giving them something that's better but also, uh, you know, a, a new business bringing 20 or 30 employees here is going to look at that rec center and it's aging and go, you know what, yeah, you know, that's not West Vancouver. Like, we'd like something <laughs> to look a little nicer. I mean, we're never going to have the, the financial resources of a West Vancouver, but I think we have to get creative and figure a way to get at least along the way. So those are things that I look at and say, hey, that's, you know, that's an investment and here's how it pays off, right? It's not just an expense. Uh, we have to look at things as we spend money. Well, what's going to be the return? You know, and what's what's the true cost? Are we covering the true cost? It, you know, what's the true return? Let's do the analysis. Let's figure it out. I I, I don't know that that's been done to the, the level of the discipline that you know certainly I've kind of been used to in the corporate world. Right. Just kind of thinking through these kind of financial analysis. Well, that this is a good precursor to my next question because uh, if if you get elected mayor. All right, let's let's fast forward. You're elected yep. mayor. You're, you're in the marriage hell. Congratulations. Uh, you're, <laughs> um, you're going to be sitting with a council with virtually no experience. There's uh, there hasn't yeah. been any incumbents who have announced. Uh, and so you're going to be dealing with uh, a lot of different people who have a lot, not a lot of experience. So yeah. um, that I wouldn't say frighten you, but I mean, that, that would bring a host of new challenges. Would you feel or? Well, you know, I, I think it's all about the right people and, the, and building the right team, right? And so, I, I've, well, uh, I'll give you an example. Kind of when I, when I started Barkbusters here in Canada and started to franchise it out here, I knew nothing about the franchising industry. I knew dog training, I knew business, I knew marketing. And, and so to start up a company, you, I had to learn franchising. So I didn't, I didn't know about it. I was like, okay, well, here's what I have to learn. And, and I did it. And in four years, we had the largest dog training company in Canada. You can learn the technical aspects. That part doesn't frighten me. And, but what is really important is you get the right people, right? What is the real skill set needed to be mayor and to be council? And if you get the, the right people with the right skill set, then you can learn the technical ability. Yeah, it'd be nice if, if um, you know, heck, I, I'd really love it if Sue was a counselor next year. <laughs> but I don't think she's going to step back. Uh, and it's going to be a little bit of a weakness, but I, I, you know, I know from the mayor's race, like whoever wins is going to face this bit of a challenge. It's okay. Like I, I look at it as I bring a ton of experience that's far more relevant than, okay, how do I run a meeting? What's the technical way to get this done? How do I make, put a motion forward? That stuff I can learn. The, the key for what's the job of mayor, how, how do you be a good mayor is, uh, setting a very clear vision and articulating it over and over so people are clear where we're headed you've got to set priorities and stick to them right stick to them it sounds revolutionary (laughs) you know stick to them um you've got to negotiate hard and and look at things from the finance and have the financial discipline to to do the right analysis and make the right call and right ask the right questions but the you know kind of the best and most important thing is just building a team like finding a way to bring people together because you're going to sit across from people on council that have differing opinions but at the end of the day you've got to bring everyone together uh, to get something done and you know you, you don't always have the luxury of having people that you know are your friends or like you or share the same opinion but being you a good leader together. yeah and that's being a good leader is all about influence it's about influencing people to see see that they can do something, they can be part of something that's bigger than just themselves, and they can accomplish something that they never dreamed they could, they could do just on their own. Yeah, because, I mean, you're going to sit across uh, six other people who have their own vision, who have their own plans, and, uh, and then, but also a bunch of people who don't understand the minutia and the details yeah. and the amount of paperwork that's involved, the amount of reading, and, uh, and um, so it's, 
it's, it's going to be a challenge for sure. I know a lot of people I've talked to are a bit concerned of, of the fact that we, you know, a whole new face to the yeah. to council. But yeah. I, I, I did a podcast with Mo Freitag the other day and he was basically saying, you know what, that actually this is a silver lining to that as in things will slow down as people learn how the things get done. So yeah. everything is moving at a breakneck speed at this point. So with the new, with new faces and new people learning how the system works, you get to slow things down a bit yeah. and sort of realize, okay, okay, where are we going, right? Well, and I think a big thing, I, I look at it from the positive side. I mean, uh, we've had people in there that have, have had a chance to make dramatic change. And, you know, everyone's promising to change and make things better. But if you've had a run at it already and you haven't been able to do it, it's like, okay, it's time, it's time to change, put the next line on the ice, right? Uh, you know, I, I think Patty's done a, a good job. She's done a lot of things. She's done some great things with the Arts Council, which we want to keep going. It's been some good relationship building with Squamish Nation, which we definitely need to keep rolling on. We've got some some good planning. Like I think staff and council have done good in terms of putting these master plans together for for all the different segments, the you know facilities and that. So we have a plan. You're happy with the OCP? <sighs> well. Uh, <laughs> I, I still don't think it's as clear. So when you talk about having a clear vision, like if you if you went around and asked 10 people, say, okay, well, we're Squamish headed. Like, what does the OCP tell you that we're going to do? I, I, it's very hard to articulate. And, um, you know, I was part of, you know, we had a lot of input from the mountain biking side, and but just personally, I, I was very involved in the process to, to give input into what I think this community should look like. And I think people have, they put, they've said, yeah, trails, super important, number one priority, you know, that's really important. Green space is really important, you know, development, yeah, you know, we're not crazy about the amount of growth. And, and so uh, OCP goes through, and you may like it or not, but then it gets, you know, I don't know how long for the First Amendment to hit, maybe it was two, three weeks, I don't, I don't <laughs> know, like, it's like, so this is where it's like, well, I, I would love to know, I would love that document to have just clearly articulated, hey, here's where we're headed, right? Here's, here's the kind of community we're going to have. Is it going to be a bedroom community? Is it going to be a working community? Are we, the, the part I, I think is sorely lacking from the OCP is any focus on the economy and, and job growth and where the business is going to go. Where's that industrial uh, uh, land uh, that's going to house jobs for the future? Have we really thought about this? And, and that, to me, is the one piece that's lacking. I think they've done a good job in trying to set... Uh, parameters for what new development looks like in a new community and set guidelines that limit it unless there's something really, you know, a very hot deal for the people of Squamish. But the whole side that, that is lacking for me is just the whole idea of how you manage the economy. Well, that's, that's another thing too, right? Um, are you talking about restructuring how budgets, the budgets of the, of the district? Are you going to go into the nuance of where money is being spent? Are you going to be doing uh, cost analysis throughout the district? Uh, or are you just looking at how to restructure the, the spending when it comes to future developments? Are you looking at the whole pie or just basically the future is what I'm asking? Well, I mean, you obviously you have to look at everything, right? And, and kind of look at what, but I think there's things that are all good and then you're going to find, okay, here's the the part that needs fixed. And, and in my, you know, in my career in the corporate world, you know, obviously any business that you run, you're always kind of looking at it, analyzing it, figuring out what the problem is. And I had a very good talent for taking uh, a picture of what's going on, doing the research and having, uh, you know, surgical precision about identifying, okay, this is the part that needs fixed. This is the core issue. And so when I look at the situation in Squamish, and that's why I focus on the jobs, because I think the, the drift to a bedroom community is the core issue creating a lot of the other issues, right? I think it starts to create the transportation issue. It hurts the affordability issue. It hurts the tax base issue. Um, it's, it's one of those things that everything else becomes a symptom, but this is the real illness. This is the problem. If we can address this, if we can focus our energy on this, if we set this as a goal, it starts to get fixed. And, you know, what I've learned, you know, whether it's in business or in sports, you have to have a clear goal. You have to have a clear vision. And when you do that, it's amazing how things start to happen, right? Uh, if, you, if you have a single-minded focus, if you have that commitment to making something happen, then people come forward that can help you make that happen. You know, it's, it's the way, as soon as you have that intent in your mind, you know, it's kind of like fate or karma or whatever you want to call it. But I, I, 
I believe on a rational side, it works. I believe on it on a kind of a spiritual side, it works where you set a vision, you set an intent and things start to happen. That kind of strong vision, I, I think what we've tried to do is kind of placate everyone. We really haven't had to say like, this is what we're about in the next four years. This is our goal. You know, we want to reduce the number of, of, you know, instead of being at 65% of people driving away, we want it to decrease it to 40%. How do we make that happen? Let's rally the smart brains in this community and make that happen. And I 100% I believe that's possible. Maybe we don't get to 40%, maybe it gets to 41%, but boy, it starts to head things in the right direction just by having that clear vision. You know, you start to articulate, well, what's the kind of community that we want to have? It's one where we, we're all everyone's expected that you're going to volunteer to do something because it's fun and it helps your neighbor. And so you set that goal. It's like, hey, we're, you know, we're going to a community that works together and lives together and plays together and volunteers together and helps each other out. To me, that's the kind of place that I want to live. And, and that is the core vision for, for my Squamish. Um, if you talk about, a, you know, whether it's an OCP or not an OCP document, um, that would be the the kind of driving principles of, you know, when you start to evaluate every decision that would come across your desk is like, hey, is this going to help us create a better community, right? Is this really going to do it for creating jobs in some way? Is it going to help us bring us closer together and help each other out? And if it does, great, we do it. If it doesn't, it's a low priority, right? So did you, you announced before Mayor Heinzman decided to drop out, right? I did, yeah. You did. So obviously at that point you thought uh, change needed even before Heinzman dropped yep. out, right? Absolutely. Because uh, Heinzman usually has the, the, they always say the incumbent is usually the, the favorite. So, yeah. um, and now since Heinzman is, is not part of the, the, the issue, uh, well, not part of the race, and you're facing new challenges with uh, Susan Chappelle and, and, and Karen Elliott. So um, what, what, do you, what do you drive home? Uh, what, what, um, like what, what do you offer more than, than, say, your candidates or your opponents do? What you've seen, you've seen what the other guys have done, right? They've had a chance. Like, Sue's been in there for seven years, Karen for four and and you know Karen and Patty are very much the same in, in my mind so I think you're gonna have like an extension of Patty w with Karen um, which is like and I think they did an okay job like that's the thing it's but but the thing that we if we really want to change the economic side of things we need we need a change like you can't Every election, if you so look you, past you, over you, the last you, four years, e economic development, yeah, we, that's our priority. If you look at the track record this year, it took two years before they hired an economic development officer, and then by the time they get squared away, like things are starting to emerge, but not nearly as aggressively as what I think is required. We, we need, like, when we say something's a priority, it means day one, that's what happens. You know, and, and that's been a, a big shortfall. And, you know, I, I, I look at, you know, Sue and Karen, it's like you're part of council. Like, it's your job to push for this. It's your job to push for better deals, better negotiations on behalf of, of our community with developers and with, you know, all this stuff. It's, it's, there needs to be change. And this is the thing, that I'm, I'm bringing a very different, a much more extensive business background uh, I think a very much more, uh, you know, Sue's been superly involved in the community, uh, and, and I really like her, and my wife and her play violin together, and <laughs> she's a good friend, so, like, you know, I, I know she's not happy Hopefully about it me get running too against there, her. Yeah. No, and, and I don't think it will. Um, but, it, you know, I, I've, I've demonstrated, like, I'm in this for our community. That's why I've been part of so much volunteer action, and I, I want to keep serving this community. I really believe I bring a skill set that, that can that can really benefit Squamish and can make a real, a real change, you know, not just a change in, in name, but a real definite change to our community. But mayor is a big step. Why, why not run for council? Why yeah. not, uh, why, why straight up to mayor? Especially so, when you know there's going to be you know, yeah. several players in the field. Yeah, a couple reasons. One is I, you kind of look at it and you say, we need to take dramatic action now, right? And, and dramatic change won't happen on a gradual basis. So we have to change. But I also look at the argument, because I've heard this ar uh, argument before. It's like, oh, you really need to be a, a counselor before you can be a good mayor. And it's like, well, what's the evidence of that? Pretty much all the last mayors have been good counselors, and, I, and, and here we are in this <laughs> financial situation and this housing situation that we're in. So, you know, if you look at the evidence, and I know Sue's very big on evidence-based decisions, you look at the evidence, you say, 
Yeah, it's, it's really not a precursor to becoming an exceptional mayor. So which is why I think we just need to change the game up a bit, right? You know, uh, it's, it's doing things completely differently of having an outside perspective that I think will actually be the catalyst to doing things that just aren't the way it's done. And, and back to your earlier question of like, hey, you know, clean slate, like no one knows what they're doing. Sometimes that's a good thing because then you're, you can ask questions that nobody else would if everyone's all familiar and you sit around and you say, oh, this is going to be a dumb question. I don't want to ask this. When no one, no one is familiar with the, you can ask the bull questions and I find that it tends to bring to light some of these um, nuances that were overlooked. Not nuances, just paradigms that people have said, <laughs> well, this is the way we've done it. Oh, it's like, right, right. Like, no, we need, we need to do it. This is all we've done it. Why? Well, you know, it's just the way. Like, this is how it goes. It's, it's like, why can't we way. do it different? Yeah. And it's like, why can't we make this radical change? Um, and when I say radical, it's like, you know, it's uh, radical in the sphere of politics. Like, it's not, uh, you're, you're not changing. Well, you're not talking about a U-turn. You're talking about, yeah. like, you know, exit it's just, left. It's a different uh, I think a different focus, a different approach, just a different way of solving problems, uh, a different way of connecting with people, uh, a different lens on negotiating and what's a fair deal and what's not. You can look at things like I can look at things from a business side and say, you know, that's a crappy deal. That's a fair deal. Like I can see the numbers and see what, you know, this developer's making on this project and see what we're getting out of it and what our costs are and what their costs are and go, yeah, that's not a good deal. You know, so having that financial uh, acumen to analyze those to and, and just be aware to ask and to when a developer says, oh, times are really tough, you know, we, we, you know, we don't really have that much money to challenge that because it might not be true that developers are not making any money. Uh, you know, like I, I think uh, I think it's just challenging the status quo and it, anytime you're pushing to make things better, you know, in this whole idea of, you know, I've been through this in, in my career with, particularly with Fortune 500 companies, you're always pushed to the limit to deliver, right? Um, how do you get better? You're continually improving and, and you're always challenging the status quo and finding a better way to do things because that's the only way that you survive as a company is getting better because everyone else chomping at your tail and you better get better and you better get faster, otherwise you're gonna lose. So that's the kind of attitude and uh, approach that I've had in just about everything I've done. It's just how I've been trained and, and I'm hardwired that way. Uh, we need, I, I think that'd be a really fresh approach for how we manage this town. Mm -hmm. yeah. Go big or go home. Why not? That's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't uh, shy away from big challenges. Uh, I, I do well in a leadership role. You know, I'm, I'm happy to go and, you know, I, I like digging in the dirt, building trails too. And just like, it's a great stress relief, but I, I feel I'm best able to serve our community in a leadership role, uh, where I can set direction and build a team of people that all want to head in the same direction. Hey, you know, and you can't ask for much more, I guess, in a candidate, someone who wants to re reflect the, the community and wants to be part of the community and uh, help it grow in, in a way that everyone benefits. I mean, uh, that's that's the dream about, you know, that's why everyone gets into municipal politics. Well, I, I did. Did we overlook any issues that we maybe? I, we, yeah, it's hard to say. We've talked we for quite about a while. Pretty much everything. <laughs> I think, I think uh, the Garibaldi at Squamish was one and then the oceanfront. Um, those two developments, those those are pretty messy. I mean, if you want to do a quick fire on those or those are complicated uh, issues or Garibaldi Squamish is, a, I think, a good opportunity. We still need to see how that all shapes up and what the whole package is for Squamish. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's some interesting opportunities in terms of employment. And, you know, that's just another tourism side. So I think that it's a good opportunity that we need to keep exploring to get once you get the final picture. And this is the same approach with every new development or every project is like it has to make sense for town and and we want to fight to get a really good deal for town and make sure it makes sense for our community as a whole um the ocean front's coming along you know it's it's good to see that coming along uh, is there any way to make it go faster yeah that's that's a great question i i i don't know why what's we've been holding talking about it up, the ocean front since uh 1999 i think it's yeah. when mexican was still in there yeah so yeah, you know, um, it's been an ongoing saga of <laughs> very complex uh, piece, you know. Uh, but now that, you know, the deal signed, it is what it is. It's not the best deal, I think, that we got for Squamish, but, you know, it is what it is now. We have to manage that 
financial fallout and make sure it makes sense and get it happening. And, but, you know, it's, it's a great space, again, for creating business opportunities. Like, I think it would be attractive space for, for, uh, for business to locate. And I, I think we just have to find, find tenants for that and work with the developer to, to get some really exciting companies in there and, and make, make the most of it. Like, use that, again, to help market Squamish's is something really special. And then I think finally what popped pop in my brain is uh, the densification of Squamish, so downtown, so we're looking at maybe an extra road in, an extra road out of Valley Cliff. I mean, we uh, there's there's some serious uh, log jams when yeah. it comes down to cars and parkades yeah. or making Cleveland uh, a one-way. Yeah. Uh, is any any plans on sort of alleviating some of that? Well, I think we have to look at look at it somehow of of flow patterns um, because it's going to be, you know, as much as we'd love to see driverless cars and nobody needing a car, like the reality is now with, with everyone living, working downtown and more and more people working downtown, everyone needs a car, you know? And, and if, if one, one part of the family's taking the car, there's probably another car so that everyone else can get around or, or everyone's like Squamish is pretty unique as a destination. Like everyone's got, you know, you got a sled or you got four bikes in your garage. Like there's, so that that whole and I've heard over and over this whole idea of parking and congestion is is a a nagging issue and as more of the empty properties get built out all those kind of ancillary you know uh, ad hoc parking spots that are just kind of by the side of a fence or a construction zone are going to disappear because that's going to be in front of someone's home and mm -hmm. it'll be no longer I think that's going to be a real pinch point um, I, I wish we had planned better to, to think through, well, who are the people moving here? What do they have in terms of cars and bikes and gear? How do we build places that fit that kind of person? Like the kind of people we've attracted with our marketing and saying, hey, come to recreate in our beautiful town. We've attracted them here, but have we given them a space that actually fits with what they have knowing that their neighbor is you know right next door and 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 everyone else has all the same gear too i don't i don't know I, like it, it's always a question for me is like how how far are we going to get in there and retrofit everything like how much is done and dusted and how much is just kind of like well okay now we have to make the best of this situation and how much we can retool that's that's a question i think we'll have to get into the detail of um you know, hopefully when I get on, as mayor. <laughs> when you get elected. So, yeah. what, what's your, what's your final pitch? Give me give, give me your final pitch. It's time for uh, a dramatic change. It's time to bring some business experience back into this community. It's time to get that community feel back to Squamish, where we can create a real community, not just a bedroom community. Thank you very much for doing this, Jeff. My Appreciate pleasure. it. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.